When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this very special episode, part two of how we would fix the brands. And today we're going to be talking about not just the legacy brands, but also the new electric brands. And with me is a very special guest, Mr. Moto Man himself from Moto Man TV. Thank you for joining us. Thank you once again for having me here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week's episode was a lot of fun. We went into, um, I'd say, you know, relatively deep depth about fixing different uh, vehicle brands. So where can people find you if they want to find you? Moto Man TV, all one word. Moto Man TV, all one word on all the streaming platforms. So that's YouTube, Amazon, Google, Apple, all of them. And if you guys, you know, are into, well... You, oh, and Instagram. Don't forget Instagram, Instagram. and Twitter. If you guys are into airplanes, yes, Moto, sir. Moto Man is also Aero Man. I am. You know what? I got to start doing more airplane episodes. I did one in total. We flew a Nanchang. For those of you that know the airplane world, that is a warbird. And uh, we flew it from Torrance Airport all the way to Oshkosh. Did this wonderful 20-minute episode. Nobody watched it. We even had Vaughn Gittin Jr. in it. It was super fun. That's the problem, right? Unless you have an audience for airplanes, it's hard to get people to want content that is outside of your wheelhouse. Yeah, sadly, even the big guys in the aviation world, they're like the small guys in the car world. All right, so let's, let's, let's fix some uh, car companies, and let's start with the one that was recently... Well, purchased, let's call it what it is, by Peugeot. Uh, it used to be called FCA. Uh, yeah, whatever they're called. I can't pronounce it. Uh, before, it used to be FCA, and before FCA, it was Chrysler, right? It was, yeah, Chrysler. Yeah. And I, what I, I like to refer to it as the big Jeep giveaway, giveaway the grand Jeep giveaway, because every company that has acquired the Jeep brand has been not deserving of it, and they haven't been a good custodian of it, and the one company that would be the good custodian of it never got close. Which is? General Motors. Mm-hmm. Back, I had Bob Lutz on my Inside the Moto Man studio episode at the Peterson, and he spilled the beans. GM was actually going to acquire all of Chrysler. They were going to get get rid of Chrysler, get rid of Dodge. They were going to put Jeep and use some of the components of Jeep within the Silverado business and then make Pontiac a rear-drive sports sedan company. <laughs> yeah, you can see that in that episode. He kind of gives you the whole detail on it. Anyway, the company is now called Stellantis, which sounds like a drug for restless foot syndrome. It sounds horrible, yeah. <laughs> is your foot tapping? Well, try Stellantis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is with the car world nowadays. It's either they name things after drugs or they name things after part numbers. Yeah, it's weird. BZ4X. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's a partnership between what used to be... Uh, 
um, Mercedes, Chrysler, which was FCA, which is now Peugeot, Stellantis, Fiat, it was Fiat, right? So yeah. it encompasses a lot of brands, but the ones that, of course, are the most valuable are, um, well, there's, there used to be three very valuable brands. They spun off Ferrari, so that's mm-hmm. its own thing now, which is smart. Right, that came along with Fiat, so they got rid of Ferrari. I don't know if that's so smart for Ferrari, because really how much investment do they need to keep Ferrari going? And that's my concern about Ferrari. Well, I just think if they felt like it was a jewel in the crown and they didn't want, they, they, they were always looking for a suitor and they didn't want to sell the brand with Ferrari attached it to it. It goes back to what we were talking about in the other episode about Wall Street. That was more about taking out, doing a lift out and, and basically making fees and making money rather than the health of the two companies. Smart that, because let's face it, um, all those Wall Street traders, I think, would have loved to invest in Ferrari, right? It's Absolutely. Just, it's a very sexy brand. It was It yeah. was an insider deal. It yeah. was not about the car companies or the health of the two car companies going forward. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the other two brands that were very valuable, obviously, were Jeep. And Absolutely. I, dis- I disagree, Motorman. I think, actually, I, I know the Jeep guys pretty well. I think they, they, they remain pretty true to the company. Um, I guess DNA, you know, the Wranglers, and that's what it is, the Wrangler, you know, has that company DNA, Mm -hmm. uh, and that that vehicle has remained true to what it should be. It Mm -hmm. it hasn't been um, changed or, you know, there's so many ways you could have broken that. The easiest way was getting rid of the solid axles, Mm -hmm. which they kept, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there was a lot of of pressure to lose Mm -hmm. the solid axles Mm -hmm. and go to independent suspension. My comment was more about the overall company. Right. There was no value for the assets around it, and Jeep was really the only value. And Ram. Well, that was later in the party. Like, Ram really had no value. It was an also-ran for a very long time. And then Ralph had the foresight to say, you know what? It's about the interior you know, you're design. you're talking about Ralph Gilles. Ralph Gilles. Great guy, talented of designer. design. Yep, for the whole company. company yeah. This guy's had a great career. Um, and a good, I think a man can chew. He can drive. He had the foresight, along with uh, Chris Benjamin, who runs interiors for Chrysler. Uh, they said, you know what, it, we already don't do the off-road. We already do the unique beds and all that crap. It was about the interior, and as, as such, they completely leapfrogged GM, and now they're number two. Yeah, it's an incredible turnaround. It's a very valuable brand now because, yeah. obviously, they also rode the wave of the off-road and truck craze that has swept yeah. this country. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we can talk about that, but my, my contention is that, you know, a long time ago, American manufacturers owned luxury, but we lost that to the Europeans. Uh, and the real, true, only American vehicle that is truly American is um, the pickup truck. It, I always like to say that if you were to go back in time, yeah. and if there wasn't an oil embargo in 73, and the U.S. car manufacturers just sailed along smooth sailing, that's the pickup truck, the pickup truck business today. Yeah, that's, that's what the car yeah. business would look like today. But uh, as it relates to the rest of the company, all of the other assets, I think they're killing it with Ram, killing it with Jeep. My comment earlier was all about the overall company, how they have so many. Basically, land of misfit toys is the best way to describe it. Yeah, let's face it. Fiat never, gosh, never took off. Uh, Alfa Romeo really didn't take off. And Uh, frankly, Fiat wasn't doing really that well in Europe. They had to, it was a lot of incentives. It was basically a company there to employ Europeans. And I would argue that the reason why that shotgun wedding happened was because the Agnellis knew they had a, a pig that what didn't have any future. They Think about it, they didn't really have an EV future. They didn't have a future really in any market except for the US because of 
the Chrysler part. And Europe is a calcified industry that, if anything, is being locked out. Car manufacturers are being locked out of it. So they said, we got to find somebody that's going to take this thing off our hands. And they found uh, Tavares to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny because it's like there's that old Star Trek episode where Spock says, you know, be careful of what you wish for is not as good as, you know, wanting is much better than having, right? I agree. And with both Alfa Romeo and Fiat, wanting, I think, was certainly better than having. I agree. You know, Fiat brought over the 500, which was, you know, old when when it came here. Yes, very old. It was 2007 when that thing came out. Yeah, yeah. And and considering it's a retro vehicle, it makes it even that much older. And then the $500 was just, you know, just... Uh, One of the ugliest cars on the planet. And one of the worst that that they could have brought in. Uh, There was just no... And then, of course, you had the Fiat, which was just basically... It was a good car, but why not just get the Miata? Well, you get the 124 when you can go get the, the original. I mentioned in our last uh, talk about different brands, I referenced uh, Warren Buffett. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in some of the stuff he's done. I've read the book, uh, the, the, uh, the Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. Great book for people I suggest for anybody. But one of the things that makes a guy like that successful is know how to say no. And this group doesn't know how to say no. They are focused on Jeep, they're focused on Ram, but they don't really have any breakouts anywhere else. Everything else is just, well, we're kind of in this market, or you know what, the tooling is paid for in Brampton, so we'll continue to make the Charger for the 15th year. The good, I mean, th- there is a good side of that, and that is they don't know how to say no to horsepower, and I think the Dodge aficionados... It's the only thing keeping Dodge alive. ...would, would love, you know, love yeah. the fact that you know, you've got 800 horsepower monster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Muscle cars out there, uh, you know, where do you take that? I think, you know, I've talked to Rolf, you've talked to Rolf. They have to make an electric muscle car. You know it's coming. They will, yeah. and that's, okay, so now we get into, like, I don't want to be a wonderful one here. I want to give them some suggestions. And the, one of the biggest problems with those two groups coming together, neither one of them had a good EV future. They, the, the PSA was just starting to put something together, but they were nowhere near Nissan. They were nowhere near what Renault and Nissan were doing together or Mercedes or, or, or Volkswagen Group yeah, was doing. So they got to figure it out on their own. Chrysler has a, has a hybrid minivan. Uh, Jeep has a 4xe right now, and those are the only two. The only thing they got, that's yeah. That's the only two. Oh, there's an e-torque thing, but that's basically just a yeah. mild hybrid. So really, they have no full-on electric car, Yeah. and they have one plug-in electric vehicle. I would argue they need to learn the art of focus. Probably di- probably divest a couple of brands. I wouldn't. The one I wouldn't divest just yet is Alfa Romeo. I would double down on it. And the maybe, brand is very valuable. The brand is incredibly valuable. Either either double down on it and do the right thing finally, like the focus you did on Ram and the focus you did on Jeep, or sell it to somebody else who can take care of it and Maser- make some money. Would you, would you hold on to Maserati or would you get rid of it? That's a tough one. That's it? a tough one it's because a good brand, but bad it's cars. a it's a great it's such a storied brand. But what they're doing is they're rebadging Jeep Grand Cherokees. You can't do that. And they're making just you look at a Ghibli. It has no commercial value whatsoever. Hmm. And I don't think you can go back to the good old days of making competitors to Ferraris. I I think if I were really pushed, if you said I had to make a decision, keep Alpha, get rid of Maserati. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I'm, Maserati is. Uh, has been struggling. I know. Um, I know that Sergio thought it was very valuable. I was never sure about that. It can be. Yeah. Maybe you put it into another 
group, but who's going to buy it? Audi or Volkswagen's got everything they need. Toyota doesn't need some sort of ridiculous uh, exotic car company. General Motors certainly doesn't. Yeah, they I mean, tried that thing Volkswagen many years has ago. Lamborghini. Though. Why would yeah, you want Maserati? You, you really don't yeah. need it. So maybe maybe what you do is you finally make it a direct competitor to like I don't know seven series or S class. But I think it's too little, too late at this point. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I think they've got a bright future because Jeep is rocking it and Ram is rocking yeah. it, and those are like those are the. I also want to t- say something about this group. So I, I, I think I've been hard in this group, but I've also shown some serious uh, respect for a lot of the bits that they're focusing on. But there's something about this group that no one else has. They have probably the best people designing, engineering, and building those cars. Oh, no doubt. The they, best. They, they do. And bar none. They I do. don't care. This country, any country. They do the least with the most. They do. And I mean, the most with the least. The most with the, the least. least. Yeah, and the they thing the that's amazing, the they have gotten a string of terrible managers, terrible leadership. And they've kept it together. And they've kept it together, know, and they incredible. keep going. And that's a testament to guys like Ralph, Klaus Bousset, uh, uh, Chris Benjamin, Mark Trossel. That's a lot of designers, I know. But there's some great engineers like, um, what's his name? Um, no, oh, I agree. Dick, remember Dick Winkle? Yeah, he was yeah, the, he yeah, was they're, the they're, chief engineer yeah, of the Viper. Got, they're like they're like the underdog, uh, you know, team that comes out of nowhere and uh, you know, yeah. beats the big boy from from you know having no resources. They're and like having, uh, they're like the fraternity house from Animal House. Yeah, like they're they, at, exactly. Yeah, and they show up in the yeah. at the end in the parade. Animal House. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's Ralph. Yeah. See, Ralph, we love you. I will call you Flounder or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> you are Pinto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mark right. Allen's another great guy there. Yeah. Great oh, yeah. people there. Yeah. Let's keep going. We're going to quickly run out of time. Uh, JLR, boy, that's a story Ooh. brand. Ooh. Oh, yeah. There's so much there. Uh, history. You want to hear, hear a funny story? Yeah. I was angry. Jaguar Land Rover, I should Jack say. Jaguar I was angry at Ford for selling them because I thought, that's a stupid idea. You yeah. should keep in the brand business. Business. But talk about focus. Back then, Malali was focused. He's like, dude, we can't survive with this much de- debt dragging us down. It is literally a boat anchor. And you know what? I was wrong. He was right. The problem is not the whole company. The problem is where there's no future for Jaguar. And the future for, J- for Land Rover is bright. You just, again, need to be more focused. You don't need a Discovery and a Defender. Just a Defender is more than enough. Maybe a Velar, but not a Velar and then something else. Evoke. Evoke, yeah, whatever the whole thing is. Yeah, so the thing, I think, you know, from their, their product portfolio is problematic. So I think Jaguar has sold something like 1,500 cars in the U.S. this year, which is just, you know, Ford sells that many F-150s in a yeah. week or less probably. Um, so Jaguar is really struggling. Uh, uh, obviously, Land Rover rode the crossover wave. So over the last 10 years, crossovers and uh, SUVs have gone red hot, and that's what they build. I think the problem there is uh, the design uh, by Jerry McGovern. Uh, he makes everything look like I call it uh, urban chic, mm-hmm. but the brand's DNA is basically – um, you know, uh, country chic, mm-hmm. I guess, right? It started out Would as... Would you call the new Defender urban chic? The new Defender, out of all the designs that McGovern has done, is by far the best. It's, yeah, it's amazing. But, uh, but the rest of the designs, including the new Range Rover, are so minimalist and so, yeah. so like, like, like London cool that I think they've lost their way. I think at some point they need to be more square-jawed and need to reflect the fact that they came from an off-road background. And it's weird. I think it has a lot to do with geography. So I think if you're in London or 
um, you know, in the UK where, there, let's face it, there isn't a lot of off-roading, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, it makes perfect sense. But when you get out to the rest of the world where, like, their customers are Middle East, yeah. right? Here in America, we do have a lot of off-roading. And those, you can't go off-roading on 22s or 23s, as the case may be, with a new Range Rover, right? So at some point, they've lost their focus on, on the country part, right? They're, they've gone too much city. There's that, you know, Green Acres, right? It's like that. Mm -hmm. They've gone too city and not enough country. Green and Acres I know the heritage, you know, the heritage is always like we have the internals for off-roading, but if the thing looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and at some point swims like a duck, it's a duck. But right? do people really want hardcore off-roading vehicles? No, no, they, they, no, they want them. They don't need them. It's like the G-Wagon, right? Nobody takes a G-Wagon off-road, but it's the reputation, right? If um, apocalypse would to happen, right? You want that G-Wagon to bug out, right? That's no, what you, you that in the back of you your head. You want a 74-year-old Cessna so you can get the hell out of here. Okay. That's what you want and burn but, five but gallons see, an but hour. You, but you, but if, you're, <laughs> if you're in Hollywood, you're probably thinking, I want that G-Wagon to, you know, to go, get to my place and wherever, wherever Hollywood people have But there. people don't, uh, yeah, very wealthy people that want a fashion accessory buy a G-Wagon. Like I'm here driving that TRD Pro yeah. 4Runner right yeah. now. And I thought I'd see forerunners everywhere here in Denver. I see more than I see in L.A., but frankly, I see more Sportages. I see more Santa Fe's here. Well, sure. I mean, it's I think the reality well. is people want the crossover thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think they've gone to city and not enough. Yeah. You know, the heritage of that was basically they took a Jeep. Um, at that point, it was a CJ, right? Before CJ, and they copied it and made it into a yeah. tractor. The first, the first Landovers were tractors. Yes, they were. Right, and now they've gone so far away from that. I, I would say too far away from it. Do you think that they should have been a GVOG competitor with a Defender? Continued with that? I, you know, I was wrong about the Defender. I, I didn't think it was square jawed enough, and the thing is sold out now. People love it. Uh, you know, ours was obviously problematic. Do you still have yours? No, we ended up so. selling it. Yeah, we keep them for like. At most a year, more like six to eight months. Because I haven't been found. Did you make money on that thing? Um, did we make money on it? Yeah, I think we did make money on that guy. Good. Usually Good. what we do is we, we trade it under the next vehicle. So basically what we did was we took the money we had in the G, in the Defender and put it in the Bronco. So we kind of move on. And we get like 10 to 12 That's videos. That's a cool Defender. Yeah, yeah. Like out of out of each vehicle. And then, you know, the money goes yeah. into the next one. Uh, so let's keep going. Mitsubishi. Oh. We go, is Nathan here? Because Nathan's <laughs> going to start crying. Uh, can we talk N Nissan Mitsubishi? The, yeah, let's the, talk. The yeah, sure. Alliance? yeah, yeah, let's talk. Um, I think in the positive column, they're one of the few leaders in the, meaning legacy leaders in the EV world. Uh, they've been doing it very effectively and very credibly for 11 years at a mass market level, both in Europe with Renault and worldwide with Nissan. Uh, I think they are completely wasting money, resources, and time by keeping Mitsubishi alive. I don't think it should be there. I think everything should be under Nissan or Renault. Uh, I think they've hit bottom. I think they're at a point where they were lost for a long time, and they've had to tighten their belt, and they've been through, obviously, some major political turmoil with leadership. And folks like Alfonso, as well as some of the folks, the leadership here in the U.S., They've said, okay, we got to get back to what made us great, and that meant value and cars that were screwed together better. Yeah. So they started with first with the Rogue. The thing actually is screwed together well. It looks good. The tactile feel on the inside is good. The only thing I would completely just say no to is the CVT. But even that, 
they've already addressed with the Pathfinder, and they've got, think of the Pathfinder as just Rogue Larger, XL, and they've got a nine-speed automatic, which I have to say works incredibly it's well in that vehicle. It's a, it's a good nine-speed. It's good value, too. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I talked to one of the guys at Nissan, he, I asked him, how's it selling? He goes, you know what, we don't measure these things in days supply, we measure these in, in minutes supply. Yeah, I think the same thing's happening with the new Frontier as well. And the Frontier is yeah. good, and then I think they're really on fire, they've, they've, done, they've done the right thing with the Z. A lot of people crap on the new Z saying it does it looks too much like a 240 or it's too small or it's too much like a 370 the reality is they kept a sports car alive in today's day and age and they did it on their own and a manual without, sports, and a manual and a manual, manual yeah. and they're not sharing development costs I like know Toyota Toyota's did. the biggest car company in the world and both the Supra and the BRZ you know 86 are yeah. built with Subaru yeah. which we'll get to in a second uh, yeah I, I, and yeah. I'm going to steal a line from my brother Alfonso okay. Alfonso Albaiz who runs design he's the one that gave me this line I used in the last right, episode the Z here's my prediction the Z is literally going to have sex with a UCLA cheerleader on the doorstep of Toyota. <laughs> you heard it here first. It, it's a beautiful car. I, I've owned um, three Zs in my life. I'm a Z guy. I was really disappointed that they let the uh, 370 and in some ways the 350 kind of just go just, so long. Yeah, go so long with her. Yeah. Uh, all the love went to the GTR. What was your favorite Z? Uh, the first one. I mean, it's just, oh, you're a 240 guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, a Z, I'm a Z32. And guy. the one that I, the one that I own that I love the most was the uh, uh, Z300ZX Twin Turbo. Yeah, Z32. Yeah, that's with, the one. With the all-wheel steer, you know, the rear wheel. Love steering. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I actually took that to Europe. I had it in Europe for a while. Got oh, it up, that's cool. I didn't know that. Got part. up on the autobahn. Yeah. Got a U.S. To car like, you took to Europe. Yeah. Wow. Brought it over, and then I traded it on M3, which almost killed me. Because you, I heard that, that t- story before, yeah. Yeah, at that time, you could keep an M3 in Europe for up to a year, and they would title it and insure it. Anyway, I was, but you, ha- I, you had to buy the, buy the um, BMW here, so yeah. I, had to, I had to ship the Z back, and I was going to Bremerhaven, and just outside of Bremerhaven, the Autobahn turns to three lanes, and no one's out there, right? So I got up to like 170 or something, full on. I was watching like the gas gauge go down, uh, and then I'm like, I think I've got snow tires on this. I'm like, yeah, I've got snow tires. I wonder what they're rated. I'm like, I don't think they're rated 270. <laughs> what will happen if one of them blows at 170? Yeah, 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 it was a great car. I miss it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know um, everyday driver, you know those guys? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he just bought one. Oh, I didn't know he bought one. I know he's yeah. a Lotus guy. He and I connected because he likes the lease. Yeah, he, he's he got just a bought and a 928. So one of the guys bought a 928. They did yeah. this video series where one bought a 928 and the other bought a Z. I was very jealous of that Z. It looked really I cool. want me a 9. You know my story with my 928. I wanted to get one, and I, my neighbor bought it out from under me. I know. You should have gotten it. I should have because now it's worth 20 grand more like f- three years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. But yeah. how many should have, could have, would have, but didn't we? Yeah. Anyway, I think you're absolutely right about Nissan. Um my biggest um, concern for him is the Aria is taking way too long. It should have been. I got another year. concern about the Aria. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Like the Toyota is taking too long, but more importantly, it's too expensive. It 47 is seven grand is twelve grand too expensive. I just did a video on it from the Eliado Show, first edition, fifty three. That's stupid. Yeah, probably the nicest interior out of any. They and that, again, that's Alfonso realizing yeah. we we don't compete just on price. We have to make a better product, but not at twelve thousand dollars more. No, because the it, minute you get to fifty three, you're competing with a Y, and everybody's going to go to a Tesla. Yeah, and you're uh, probably twelve k over what an ID four is. Right, and the ID four still gets three years of free charging plus their you know ten yeah. k in tax credits. 
That 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 is a hard headwind to sell. I'm going to say something here that will be what would not be popular. But you know, I'm a huge Dave Ramsey guy. I teach a class at my church on this stuff. I firmly believe all the car manufacturers need to get off the crack of the tax credits because at some point they're going to go away. And in reality, for most people, they don't get money back. You know how they do it in Europe? How do they do it? In it's Europe? cash on the hood. That's so ba- more. That, that, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Because what happens is if you do it as a tax credit, you're basically uh, subsidizing rich folk, right? You are. I, I call it welfare for rich people. Yeah, that's, that's what exactly it is. What, yeah. But the, at the end of the day, it doesn't translate to a straight discount. And I think it's disingenuous advertising when people say, like, Nissan's going to say, oh, well, this car is 47. But guess what? After you get all the tax credits, it's 40. That's a lie. That's not correct for every tax situation. And I'm coming up with an episode in January where I cover this in detail. Yeah, what should happen, I think in New Jersey they do it with the, with the state credit, is they just take off the 7.5, right, or whatever it is. A lot of the right states at, right do the it of, as a rebate. It's a point of sale. Yeah, California has a rebate. Yeah. Hawaii is a rebate. But the federal is a tax credit. It all depends on your tax situation, and that's where it, the confusion it, comes in. If you're going to do it, it should be point of sale. And at the end of the day, at some point, this is going to go away. And that's why these car manufacturers, I think, need to get off the crack of it now and get ready for the tsunami that will hit. Do you think Polestar actually spun off, Volvo spun off Polestar because they wanted to maintain those tax credits? That's one of the reasons. Otherwise, it's, it's, you know, it's a hard decision to do, right? Did, did a luxury brand like Volvo need another luxury brand like Polestar? So, Not really. So, you know, the, the inside scoop is that they did it because they wanted to be able to maintain two sets of you know, tax credits. It's entirely possible. I think there's other... So the, the way it works the, is, you know, it, it, you get, I don't know, 250,000 units, right? You get the... And after yeah, that, it, it, yeah. it goes away. So I Tesla's think there's other theirs. moving parts there behind the potential, I guess, buyback of Volvo from the Chinese. I think that's part of it as well. We'll see. So anyway, Tesla's lost theirs. Nissan lost theirs, of course, because of the yeah. leaf, right? So they lost, you know. It's a victim of your own success. Yeah. 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 I, but you're right. I agree. I do think the leaf, I don't know where it's going to go from here. After the Aria comes, are they going to make a, a leaf that's actually more competitive because the current one isn't that competitive? But overall, I think uh, the biggest feedback I give Nissan is they're killing it on all the new product. Let's phase out the CVT on absolutely everything and keep the same equation, the same idea that they did with the Z. Keep that focus on all the new products going forward. Yeah. Agreed. All right. How about Subaru? Now, Subaru is in... Do I have to talk about Subaru? Is that because I'm in Colorado? Is a law we have to talk about Subaru? No, we don't have to talk about Subaru. (laughs) But Subaru is in uh, deep trouble right now. Uh, Their sales last month were down 40%. I know that's because of the chip shortage, but uh, that is, you know... A big, big percentage to lose. It's a huge percentage. One out of two of your sales. Uh, Other you know, OEMs haven't been hit that hard. Like twenty percent, you know, for Toyota. All kidding aside, with Subaru, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge Subaru fan. I think. Oh, and actually, one fun fact before we get into it. In 2009, what two car companies? Only two car companies in 2009 sold more cars than Subaru is one of them. And Morgan. Oh, Morgan! Wow, that was it? Wow. So Subaru had a good thing going, yeah. but. If I'm being completely frank, it's based on A, lower volume, and B, lower price points. Now Subaru has ballooned into these price points of $40,000 for an Outback. I think people are like, wait a minute. I like the quirky thing at 30000 maybe 35000 but at forty grand, I can buy me a BMW for that. I can buy me an all-wheel drive Mercedes for that. And I think that's where some of the defection is coming from. And then getting into kind of a more grand strategic point of view, 
This is perhaps a discussion for another day, but putting aside everything we just talked about, at some point, the volume of all these car manufacturers is going to be decimated because of all the fleet business that's going to be going. Whether it's you're sharing a car, whether your people move over to Ubers, whether people move into autonomous vehicles, and at some point, we're not, not tomorrow, we're talking like 25 years in the future, a company like Subaru doesn't survive. And the way I see it, a company like Subaru and Mazda come together under the auspices of like a Toyota. Yeah, or a Toyota. It's already happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they had this, I think there's a really great business strategy in the automotive world, and that is you build a quirky little vehicle, and it could be Subaru, or it could be Saab, or it could be Volvo, right? Yeah. And it, it, it builds this, like, tremendously loyal uh, consumer base of owners mm -hmm. uh, who then evangelize it, and then you make the vehicle less quirky, right? So you do things like you get rid of the spare tire that sits above the engine, right? Yeah. You make it more mainstream. And you make it more acceptable, and then that's a really great way to break into the general kind of zeitgeist and become a very successful brand. And that's what Subaru did. But like with Volvo, and in some ways like with Saab, how far can you take that but before that's, you run into like Toyota head on? Or, or exactly right. That that's where it starts. That's to, where we get back to what we said in the first th episode. How many, how many hundreds of thousands of units do you get to? Five hundred thousand. But that's where we get back to the first episode. It's a race to the bottom. You can't compete on price. You can't beat a Toyota in that instance because Toyota has $50 billion. You have maybe half a billion dollars. And you don't want to really be in that business. You want to be in the business of like a Porsche where they make a couple thousand less every year than they can sell. And as a result, they have a continually growing business at a slower level, right. but it's a healthier business. Here's a number actually I wanted to share with you in the last episode. Yeah, we're, we're, Porsche's next, by the way. So. Oh, I'll save it for that then. How about that? I save it No, the that. last thing I was going to say about Subaru is, uh, and it also happened with Audi. At one point, obviously, Subaru's um, uh, thing that made them unique, um, mm -hmm. distinguishing feature was that they were all all-wheel drive. Same thing with Audi. but They don't but, have that anymore. But the, everything's all-wheel drive. It's like now. Volvo used to their stock safety. and trade with safety. And everything's But then everybody went to the yeah. safety cages. So, so you've kind of lost My that advice to Subaru advantage. is, in the short term, Go back to what you were good at, which is making these quirky station wagons. Don't make them too expensive because now you are right in, 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 in the firing line of, a, of Mercedes, of Volvo, right. of sure. all these guys. I, I think, think they need to slow down. I and also, when you partner with Toyota, don't make the cars look exactly the same. So, you know, we purchased an Outback, and it was a base. Yeah. Uh, not Outback, sorry. We, we purchased a Crosstrek. It was a base Crosstrek. I'm sorry. And we got it for um, $23,500, which was a really good price. Yeah. But you can get that same vehicle, basically the same vehicle, if you go for the bigger engine uh, with all the bells and whistles for $36,000. k yeah. is a lot for an Outback. I mean, for a Crosstrek. That's it's a lot stupid. for an Outback, too, but it's a That's lot a for a Crosstrek. That's a amount of money. Yeah, for the Crosstrek Sport. That gets into Sport. another discussion of, you know, can people afford cars that are 36 dollars Crosstrek Sport with all, is 36000 No, not worth it. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. 36, think about this. 36 grand can buy you a moderately equipped Telluride. Yeah, 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 I know. It's, Big it's, difference. It's getting up there. All right, let's move on to the next brand, which is one of our favorites, and that's Porsche. Uh, Porsche seems to be, once again, one of those brands that's just hitting the right note on so, everything. So uh, I can sum this up in one factoid. Uh, in 2021, Porsche has, up, up to, literally to date, probably this is about two-week-old information, 27,000 wholesale orders, meaning people who walk in and said, I want to buy the car. Not dealers just saying, I want to have stock. Right. Just people who actually put their name on a car. Real people. 27,000. How many do you think they, they're able to deliver this year? 25? 10,000. Ten, wow. 
Wow, yeah, chip shortage. They're killing it. Yeah. So it's a combination of chip shortage, but so much demand for the product. Like even my guy, you know Bo, uh, yeah. Bo Galpin. Yeah. Uh, my guy was I don't telling me. I know him, but I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. They have a Porsche store, and he's telling me that all the Porsche stores in L.A. are getting 50 grand over sticker for base, style, base 911s. I believe it. Yeah, you can't get a base. You can't it's get a 911. You, you can't, can't get, get a Boxster. You can't yeah. get a Cayenne. Ky- it, you came in. I mean, you can get a Cayenne. You can. They get, have yeah. some dealers have four cars to sell. Yeah. I uh, granted a good problem to have, but not sustainable. You got to get to a point. I used to work for Apple, and for five years, one of the problems we had was we'd come out with this great new product, but we could never get the supply out there, and people got pissed off and went somewhere else. So you got to kind of rein that in. Just don't get it to the point where you flood the market, but. Get that happy medium. And I think this is advice to all car manufacturers. Maybe the, the seasonally adjusted annual run rate, currently it's, or normally before, in the before times, it was $17 million in 2019. It, maybe it shouldn't be $17 million. Maybe we have a healthier, everybody has a healthier business. We bring it down to $12 million. A little bit more gross for everybody. They make a little bit more money per product. But let's not try to run this boom-bust cycle, which screws economies and screws uh, cities and employment. Yeah, I think I think you just described like the problem that Ford is having with the Bronco. At some point, uh, you know, the, the, the sales of the Wrangler are being driven by the Bronco, right? Because people go try to buy a Bronco. They can't. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'll wait. How long do you yeah. wait before you just say, screw it? I'm yeah. going to go to the Jeep dealer and pick, my, you know, yeah. pick myself up a Wrangler. Yeah. And again, this is an unusual position we're in right now. We'll get past this. But I think the lesson people should take from this is maybe we right-size our businesses. Maybe we don't rely on incentives or we don't rely on the concept of getting too many factories and having too much capacity. Let's right-size the capacity as well. So let's say you want a 911, but they're you know, unobtainium. What do you buy instead? A Supra? Me? What? I don't buy anything. I wait until I get the car I want. Well, most I think that's the other thing. Most Porsche people will say that. But let's yeah. say you're not. What, what do you buy? Either if you're wealthy enough, you pay over sticker. Do you buy a used Porsche? I guess you can get a used one. I think for me, I would probably could do a classic car. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I would do a cl- I would do, do like an early C3, something like that. Yeah, because you can't really get a Corvette yeah. either. Those are also... Because I'm not... Oh, my God. The Z06 is going to be even worse. Yeah, they're also sold out. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity, like people can go into classic cars because the reason why I say that is the guy with buying a 911 probably not dealing it or if he does he's got another car that he could alternate so he doesn't put as much many miles on it the only people I know that daily 911s live in LA yeah I agree it's a it's a and you could get away with dealing a classic car in LA yeah not a trip because the weather's beautiful for the most part, yeah, yeah. For the most part. All right. Well, we promised uh, the electric brand, so let's get into the electric let's brands. Do it. Because I've got a lot to say, actually, about a couple of these. Uh, but let's start with the big boy on the block, uh, and, that Tesla, and that's Tesla. So we've owned a Model 3, a Model X, and a Model Y. And i got to say, uh, Moto Man, I am, I am kind of done with Tesla. I, why I, are you done with Tesla? Because, because, look, I went to the – I was thinking about this, okay? So I went to the um, Detroit Auto Show like 10 years ago, and that's when they first unveiled the Model S. And that car has, okay, they put a yoke in it, and they kind of changed, did a mild refresh on it, but it's been the same car now for 10 years. So I, I, have, I have a hard time getting excited by a 10-year-old car, Okay, even if it's a plaid. I, I get that, but the design and the look of it is the same. Mm-hmm. Now, two years later, they unveiled the Model X. So I've been looking at that now for like eight years. Yeah. 
done with that, right? Same, same design. Cool, but same design. A Model 3 is what now? Four years old? Uh, and then Model Y is five. like... Two, Model 3 is five years five old. Five years old. Yeah. And Model Y is like three years or two years old. And to make things even worse, you can get it in what? Six colors, two wheels, and two interior trims. Yeah. Here in Boulder, you can literally, and it happened to me, you can literally park your uh, Model 3 at the grocery store, walk out, and there'll be three other white Model 3s parked next to it, and you'll have to, like, use your, you know, to figure out which ones We yours. have the same problem in L.A. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just the, the design, you know, most manufacturers of cars refresh the car after four years, you know, redo the car after four years, refresh it after two. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just kind of bored of the brand. Uh, you know, they need some the lifeblood of any car company is new Let product. me ask something a little inside baseball yeah. thing, considering where we're sitting right now. Did you have a problem with range up here whenever you tried to take it to the mountains? No, I never had range issues. Range is great on it. Even Tesla, up in the mountains at cold weathers. Yeah, even in cold weather. It never had Tesla does the best job in terms of their That's I, I think both both electric battery tech and infotainment. It, it works. It's seamless for the most part. It, they're the most integrated in everything in terms of the buying yeah. process, the repair process, uh, yeah. the charging process. The whole thing is just very well and yeah. smartly integrated. It all, for the most part, works. It's like Apple, right? It, it all just works. Well, it's you, one closed ecosystem. It's a closed ecosystem, and you pay a premium for that, but it's worth it. But I'm just bored of the cars. Okay, so I'm going to give you my feedback. Right, there, there's Tesla. no, like, special models. There's no... no Right. No. Except, I mean, there's a plaid, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's a performance and a non-performance, but there's no like yeah. special edition, anniversary edition. Yeah. The one that's like you know green versus you know just. But let's it. be honest. The kind of people that buy those things, frankly, not creative folks. They're just not creative car folks. They're not excited about it. They're buying an appliance. They're buying an iPad. There's a lot of car guys and gals who love Tesla. I, I disagree. I've met a lot of Tesla owners. I think I think they love the performance. I mean, they're the quickest cars out there, right? The, the Plaid basically but is, is taking. Is that the, that's not the majority of the folks that are buying Teslas? Um, it's like you know what it is. Uh, it's like left brain versus right brain, right? So or, or like your head versus your heart. They're yeah. both. You can be fanatically into them. It's just you're doing it from a different point of view, right? You you, you could be into it from like I love the design of the thing because it's. Like an Alfa Romeo, it's just, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, or like a motorcycle. A motorcycle to me is like rolling art, right? Uh, or you could be in it from that kind of mathematical point of view where you yeah. love the efficiency and the numbers and the purity of, of that. Mm. So so it, it's just a different form of, um, of car fandom, I guess. But to me, like I said, after owning three of them, I'm just kind of, I just wanted something else. And, and I guess the, the, the reason I figured that out was we had a Model Y performance for a year, never took it for a joyride. Just never even occurred to me, and then we bought that little mini SE, which mm-hmm. you know has 114 miles of range. Drove it in one day from Albuquerque, which is a long way in a car that only gets 114 miles. And then that night, I took it out for a joyride. That one of the most fun driving minis I've ever driven, the mini SE. Yeah, it's a really fun, fantastic car. car. Yeah. Anyway, so um, what's your take? Let okay, me hear so your my take on t- there's a couple of moving parts here, and this somewhat uh, is is f- the foundation is in where I came from in tech. I am one of the few car folks that actually have a significant amount of respect for Tesla as well as what Elon has built. Huge, mad respect for that. Uh, That said, as a design freak and a guy who really gets off on the tactile feel and build quality, that's probably the biggest pitfall. The vehicles themselves, they've improved a bit over the years, but it's still... there's a lot to be desired, left a lot left to be desired from, say, the Porsche or the Mercedes of the world, and I think they need to fix that at, at some point. Uh, I think overall, the business itself 
is not sustainable. They don't make money on the cars. This goes back to what we were talking about before. Yeah, I think they're finally making money, but for a long time they did money on selling their basically. If you credits. look at the numbers, yeah. you dig into their numbers. They are not. It's not. It's like we were talking about before with the whole Wall Street thing. What yeah. happened with Rivian? The numbers are not re- relevant to the underlying business. Yeah, so and the concern is, you're yeah, you make it up in volume, but you're not making money on each car. And what's happening is the business itself is changing and you're getting more competitors. And I will agree, he has got that Steve Jobs aura about him. But at some point, people are going to say, you know what? Just like you, I'm sick of a Tesla. I'll try the Mini or I'll try the Porsche I think that's or I'll what, try the Mercedes because you'll have an alternative. Audi is the most you know, successful non-electric car brand, right? Because they've got them. And I think it's people coming out of Tesla's going. Well, isn't Ford incredibly successful with the Mach-E? Like they, their sales numbers are the closest to the Model Y every month. Yeah, I think so. But I think uh, like Model S buyers aren't going to go into a, I don't think Model S buyers are going to go into a Mach-E, but they will go into like an e-tron. But think about what we were saying here. You you are sick of Tesla, not because it's a bad I'm not car. Sick, I'm just bored. You're I'm just bored, bored of it. it. I'm bored and of I it. And I think yeah. there's a certain percentage of these folks that will get bored of it, and there'll be an alternative. Yeah, now, before I forget, there's one other thing I got to say here, and I have to say it. You know where I'm going with this. I understand everybody wants an iPad on their dashboard. It's totally unsafe. Tesla is the worst offender. Tesla has had the most incidences of people not paying attention. And there is no such thing currently as a self-driving car, no matter what they sell you in terms of social credits, which pisses me off. And yes, I say this because I am a survivor of being hit by a Tesla. And the woman wasn't paying attention. The regulators are asleep at the wheel and you paid the price. Completely. I agree. I agree. You paid the price because they they, they, they sell something that does not exist. These car manufacturers need to police themselves, not wait for the government to do it. And then while I'm at it, I'm gonna, I am going to bitch and moan about something that's somewhat political about this. Um, this whole self-driving car thing, people think those are self-driving cars. They do have this autonomous mode they sell. You pay ten grand or something like it that for grand, it. Yeah. But you don't get it. What you get is you buy into social credit scores, which piss me off. And too many of the Tesla buyers are so excited about, oh, my God, I'm going to get a good driving record so Elon blesses me with the auto driving feature. You should be pissed off that he took your ten grand and made you jump through a hoop to get it. Well, so what you're talking about is uh, they had a beta version of full self-driving. Uh, in order to be able to uh, get that beta version, the car would actually track your driving habits, yep. and you had a score like a perfect score. Yes. And there were people who were actually trying to game that by there. There are like ways you could game it, of course. Yes. But anyway, the whole thing was just stupid, silly, right? There's five levels of autonomy. We're not even at level two. Level, exactly. Level five would be the car can drive itself under any weather conditions without a, a human behind yep. the wheel. We are so far from that. DARPA tried to go there. Even they couldn't stand. It's it's a very exactly. difficult thing to do. And yeah, it's right. And anyway, so. So, Misrepresenting what really what the reality so, is. So, so I, I wonder um, because I, you know we're very privileged. So it, it, it kind of sounds condescending when I say I'm bored of Tesla, right? But I get to drive, and you do too, a lot of different vehicles. Most mm-hmm. people don't get to do that. And I think most of the consumer world has yet not driven a Tesla, let alone owned a Tesla. But at some point, I think that is coming. And and they are you know the other thing that Tesla does, which is I, I think you know Elon gets away with a lot. That, that most car companies couldn't get away with. I'll give you a prime example of that. We were supposed to be sitting in a moment when the Cybertruck was out. I was at the mm-hmm. launch. Yep. It was supposed to be out I now. I remember the video. Yeah. Now now we're looking at, if we're lucky, 
not next year, but you know, mm-hmm. 2024 probably when, mm-hmm. when production starts. And at some point, how much like patience do you have to have? And before the Cybertruck comes out, you're going to have Rivian out, you're going to have uh, the Lightning out, which is a serious competitor, right? So if you keep putting off these launches and you do it not by a quarter or not by a month, but yeah. by years, at some point that's got to start to hurt your ba- ba- I think basic the bottom light, line. The Lightning, we forgot to talk about them, the Ford yeah. portion of this discussion. I think the Lightning is the secret weapon, and it's because they priced it, that forty grand at yeah, the entry-level car. Yeah. I think they are Incredible. going to beyond kill it. Yeah, and so at what point does, does, does the Cybertruck, no matter what it looks like, become almost like a, you know, like a, like a secondary player? It's kind of like, I'll admit, I'm an Apple fanboy. I could save money and got a more powerful machine, probably pay half the price, but I buy the Apple because of the whole user experience, and I've been bought into that entire ecosystem for years. I think there's a certain percentage of people that will never change because they're bought into the Tesla, and those are the same people that are going to argue with us in the comments to tell, tell us that you and I are idiots. But in reality... The fact that we're going to have more choices out there, I think that's going to erode Tesla's dominance. Yeah, I also I also think with Apple, uh, the analogy breaks down because basically there were two choices, right? There was the PC and then it was mm-hmm. the Apple. Well, with cars, it's not like that. You you do have Tesla, but you have you know twelve other brands that at some point are going to mm-hmm. be much more competitive than they are today. But Tesla was the only one that actually solved the infrastructure problem. Yes, and they're, but you know, that's once, why once they again, got they're the, supposed to open that up. We'll see if it ever happens. Yeah, he says he. But you know what? He, it's in his best interest to do it, right? Because, because someone else, it's like playing Monopoly. Someone else is going to pay for building his real estate. Yeah, yeah, and, and at some guy's point, genius. I'll give it to him. And at some point, you're going to start making money. Right now, you're losing money on, on the charging. Yeah, but, but at, at some, some point, point you gonna are. Start, gonna yeah, as money. Porsches and and ID fours and yeah. Arias start plugging in, you better believe he's going to make some money. Yeah, and so you're smart to open it up because you're going to absolutely start, right, as opposed to small. You know, you you could quadruple or you know tenfold increase your customer absolutely. Base. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Um, how about Rivian? Rivian's an interesting one. So that one, uh, I don't have as much to add because I have yet to drive it. I am driving it soon. Um, But from a design perspective, I think they have knocked it out of the park. I think they have gone... Definitely a lifestyle adventure. It's Yeah. They've gone the, what, the Ridgeline, Santa Cruz type. It's not like a hardcore off-roader. But what stands out to me is the incredible packaging of that vehicle. Uh, some of the way they've done the design, but most importantly, and this is a little bit off the plantation here of actual cars, the reason why I think they'll be successful, they didn't take money from China. They took the right smart investment. Yeah, and uh, probably the most interesting thing that has recently happened with Rivian, besides the IPO, of course, uh, which was a traditional IPO, which I give them much credit for mm-hmm. as opposed to doing a SPAC. Huge credit for that, yeah. Because yeah. that's, a, that's a painful SPAC's process. SPAC's the cheater. Fisker did the SPAC and Lucid did the yeah. SPAC. SPACs are easy and they show, you know, you don't have, you, you can just basically switch them on. And, and frankly, it tells me you don't have your ducks in a row. It, it does suggest that because, you know, the full IPO process, there's, a, there's you know, there's discovery. You get a lot of scrutiny. Yeah, a lot of you scrutiny. have to go through a lot of institutional yeah. investors and trust me, I've been through that route. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's painful and, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the one big news that recently was announced that they've kind of had a divorce with Ford. So Ford was one of the early investors. Mm -hmm. And I think now either because of Ford's um, huge success with the Lightning, Mm -hmm. where Ford, you know, kind of went to test, went to Rivian and said, you know, we got this. Or because uh, Rivian is seeing that Ford is going to be a competitor in that space. Or do you think Amazon went to them and said, we want more of your capacity? 
so Amazon, the interesting thing that people don't know about the Amazon agreement, it, it, it's you know in a very typical Basel sort of way, it was very one-sided. Mm-hmm. So they did not commit to actually buying. They, they committed to buying up to this many, you know, mm-hmm. I think it was 100,000 of their vans, but there's no commitment to have to buy 100,000. Mm-hmm. So they basically locked them in into production, but they didn't lock themselves into actually having to mm-hmm. build, actually having to buy those vans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of that is still up in the air because if they build a good van and Amazon's happy with it, then Amazon, you know, has Rivian production uh, sewn in for 100,000, which is a lot from it's one quite factory. a bit. The other thing I find interesting about Rivian um, again, we'll go back to the whole cocktail party analogy. You and I go to cocktail parties. People think we're doctors. Hey, doc, you know, what do you think of my elbow? <laughs> um, I've never seen a car company ever, including Tesla, get the very early brand recognition that Rivian has. I get people come up to me who are not car people, definitely not truck people, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about that Rivian? Or my friend's sister, she's got an order on a Rivian. People yeah. know it. I don't yeah, know yeah. what they did differently. Well, they, they hit the confluence of electric and trucks, right? So electric trucks are having their moment in the sun, and they're the poster child for that. Right? Before is that Ford, enough to get people? Like, like for example, I'm talking yeah, a lot of law enforcement, and a buddy of mine who's in law enforcement, he, doesn't, he drives a, an Explorer every day. He, doesn't, he didn't know about Rivian. One out, one out of four in Texas, one out of four vehicles sold are trucks. Well, that's Texas, the whole but it's, country. It's, but it's going that way in the whole country. Your trucks are just having, you know, you're just it's just a thing right now. And I think they hit that confluence at the right time, and they got both the, the EV world and the truck world. And when they unveiled in L.A., what was it, two years ago, mm-hmm. they just nailed it out of the ballpark. Uh, and they also got the off-road bit to it, so they got it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, whether people understand that this is, this is my whole thing that people, I think, don't quite appreciate, uh, and having driven the— the, the Cybertruck, I can tell you it's a big, big old beast. Uh, and I think people don't appreciate just how big trucks are and how, how hard it is for somebody who lives in a city where most people live mm-hmm. to actually live with a truck. And L.A. is still kind of okay, but when you start to get into places like New York mm-hmm. or Chicago, it's very hard to own a but truck. But we're starting to see solutions like that. You and I just went to dinner in that Maverick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's a, but that's smaller than Rivian. So, so Rivian. Way smaller. Yeah, Rivian is, you it's know. It's about the size of the Honda. It's a little bit bigger, so it's kind of in between. There's, you know, there used to be three truck categories, right? Midsize, full size, and heavy duty. Mm-hmm. And the Rivian's kind of in between the midsize and the full size, so it mm-hmm. kind of splits the difference. But it's still a big beast. Even even the the Maverick is a pretty big vehicle. Yeah, it's a it's a foot shorter than um, uh, than the Ranger. Okay, so that's here's a big a question. That's, here's a big question for you. You said that there were fifty thousand pre-orders, of which Andre has one of them. How many of those do you think actually turn into buyers? Depends how quickly they can build them. If they build them in the next, if, if, you know, a lot of this has to do with economic conditions because mm-hmm. those things will dry up like that if the economy goes south. You know mm-hmm. that. Uh, but if they can build them in the next six months to a year, then they'll sell most of them. If it takes them forever, which it seems to be taking them right now, they've mm-hmm. got. According to their IPO, they had built like 150 hand-built trucks. Oh, one other piece of advice. Uh, they did the most, the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. So they were uh, a Michigan company. Yeah. And they decided to, to be the contrarian investor and open up uh, a development office in Irvine, California. Yeah, and they've got the more. The most, the, the least friendly state to business yeah, on think, the planet. I think that's because RJ lives in California. I think, I think it was just to... to 
to hire people, to be able to get people interested in moving there because they wanted to go to Irvine, not Michigan. But I think that's that's short sighted. Right, we, we have six minutes. So six minutes. To, okay. We have to finish lucid? this up. Yeah, Lucid. Uh, I think that they took Jap- I think they took Chinese money. I think Lucid was funded. Lucid. No, they took uh, Middle uh, Eastern money. Eastern, Middle, Middle Eastern, Eastern money. money. So lucid once again, came, Lucid came out of Tesla, basically the battery engineer. Yes, and and they basically followed Tesla. Lock, stock, and barrel. They, it's all the Tesla engineers. They once again hired a designer from Mazda. This was Derek Jenkins, very talented designer. And they decided to do something different. Instead of going to a truck, they decided to make an ultra-luxury car, a super expensive luxury car. Built their own factory. In, Built their own in, factory in Arizona. In Arizona. I, the question is, will it be successful? And again, I think it's a big function of where the economy is when the cars hit. I think the execution, they did a good job. And also, I'll give them the same star for the proper funding. They didn't take money from China. They were. They didn't take money from China. They took money from sovereign wealth funds. And I think that turned into a smarter solution path for them. Except uh, I think they're going to be selling into a pretty strong headwind because Right now, no one is buying sedans, mm-hmm. and you know, $160,000 sedan, that's a big ask. Even in this time, that's a big ask. It's a big ask. I agree. Even if it's got 500 miles of range, which it does, it's, yeah. it's a lot of money. And at $160K, uh, you know, if your direct competitor is the Model S Plaid, which is 130 which is quicker, uh, which is cheaper, which has its own charging network, it's a big ask. I think it's biggest blue sky is people like you that are sick of the Tesla. They want something different. I agree, yeah. I, think, I don't think you're going to get the, the S580 dri- driver to, to switch. I think it's a guy who's coming from a Tesla. The question is, how many, uh, how many are they going to sell? And I would ask, what is the capacity of the factory? Do you know that? I don't know what the capacity is. I so we're going to have to find out and come back to the audience yeah, on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then all, also, one more thing I'll say here. Uh, one of their strategic advantages is Derek Jenkins, because he's an unusually talented designer, not just on form, but also packaging. Yeah, I, th- I think, once again, you know, here, here's a dirty secret of the car industry. Even though people know car companies like Ferrari and Porsche, right, uh, or Aston Martin or Lamborghini, yeah. in terms of, like, actual, like, size, and, and, and they're just tiny little companies. Yeah. Right? You don't make money selling very expensive luxury cars. No, you make money you selling don't. Model Ts. Yeah. Right? Ford or GM or... One of my mentors in college uh, left me with this advice, which I've never forgotten. If you sell to the rich, you will eat with the poor. If you sell to the poor, you will eat with the rich. Yeah. Very good. All right. You got you got three minutes. You got to go. Okay. How about canoe? Uh, I don't care about canoe. Let's talk about... I'm going to say it the, the, the proper way. I think it's uh, Rimach. Rimach. Yeah. You would know better than I me. Think it's, I, think it's, I don't think it's Rimach. I think it's Rimach. It's not Rimach. I got yelled at by <laughs> many people about that. I think that. it's Rimach. Yes. In Shuligum. It was Rimach. It's a Slavic It's Rimach? Rimach, I think. Rimach. Rimach or Rimach or something so, like that. So, um, yeah. first of all, the... The founder. I shouldn't say no one cares about canoe. It's 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 its own little thing. But let, this is more. Just real quick on yeah. canoe. Yeah. Amazing talent they have. They have attracted. They have attracted people from Mercedes AMG, from General Motors, and I think they're one to watch. Let's move, move I, on. I, on hope, to I hope they actually build it. Yeah. They said they'll build it next year. We'll see. They too did the thing with California yeah. as well. Anyway, so. Um, but now they're building. Rimach. It Mate is incredible. This yeah. kid is literally the dancing bear. I am blown away by his history. I did an episode about the history of the company and what this deal is. But ultimately what's happened here is this man has been given control over the Bugatti brand. It's under a JV between Porsche and Rimat. Yeah. 
But what people don't know is this guy doesn't just make his hypercar, as well as now Bugatti hypercars, which will most likely go electric. He is a tier one supplier to the EV world. And it's already a profitable company because of the tier one auto supply business. That's how he funded making the hypercars. So this guy is the modern day Enzo Ferrari. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think I think that that was a huge win-win because I I think at the end of the day, basically Porsche, which is Volkswagen Group now owns, yeah. but he's running the you know the Bugatti and the, the other yeah. brands. So they they got the best talent, and yet they managed to somehow own it at the same I time. I think the real win. They don't own Rimac, Rimac, or whatever it is. They don't they, own it. Then they split the company somehow. So Volkswagen Group yeah. owns forty percent of the of the overall Rimac yeah. company. But I think the real win for Volkswagen Group, they're going to take the brain trust of Rimac or Rimac. Let's just say Rimac. It's easier. Rim- yeah. Entschuldigung. Yeah. Of Mate's brain trust, and I think he is going to dictate EV strategy for the entire Volkswagen Group. So that means not just Bugatti. I think overall he's going to dictate or talk into the EV strategy of Porsche, Volkswagen, Audi, and let's say Lamborghini at some point. Who knows? Maybe even Ducati. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. This well, was a coup. This yeah. was a coup. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, our take on how we would uh, fix now the electric uh, brands. How much do we get paid for this? Nothing. Like These guys should be giving us consulting we're, fees. We're getting paid nothing. We're making no money on this. This, You know what? Then we're going to have to do a spec. But we're having fun. We are having fun. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> you got a good lunch out of it. I got a good conversation with a buddy. I mean, one it was more, great to some, see. I some, miss you. I don't see yeah, you as much. Sometimes that's worth a lot more than it is <laughs> than money. And we got to drive a Porsche to lunch. Oh, we did. And you, and don't don't tell me we'll do the video. Oh, I am going to torment him mercilessly about every bad decision he made with this car. Uh, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us. Remember, uh, if you want to get all the TFL content, head on over to tfl-studios.com. If you want more from Motorman, head on over to Motorman TV on all the social medias, including, of course, YouTube. See you guys next time. Ciao. See you guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.